When it comes to building a reliable race car, one of the common areas we see problems is with the wiring harness. Now, building a reliable wiring harness requires some specialist equipment, some specialist techniques, and of course, some specialist knowledge. And we're here with Cody from Cody Phillips Racing, who's built this immaculate Supra behind us. And we're going to find out what exactly goes into the wiring harness that he's constructed for this Supra. Welcome to High Performance Academy's Tuned In Field Report podcast series. In these special midweek episodes, we look back through our archives to find the best conversations we've had through years worth of attending the best automotive events across the globe. We've pulled the audio from these tech-filled interviews with some of the industry's most well-known figures for you to enjoy as a quick hit of insider knowledge. Before we actually get stuck into the harness on the Supra though, let's go back a little bit and I want to really dive into how you got involved in building these harnesses in the first place. It's an area where there is uh, unfortunately very little knowledge and those that have that knowledge do tend to keep it pretty closely guarded. How did you get started? I think really it came down to as I started tuning more and more cars and the, the my capability advanced into more of the MoTeC systems and, and more advanced standalones that weren't plug and play um, and, and more projects that, that weren't street cars or, or, or whatnot. Um, we had to figure out a way to wire that stuff up and it, it just started with, I would go to tune cars on a dyno and a boost control solenoid would be wired wrong. Uh, fuel pressure sensor would be wired wrong. So getting the crimpers, figuring out how all that went. And then of course, really just loving the data behind it all. Uh, you know, the more data I could gather, the more I'd crunch it. And so adding sensors into things always seemed more and more intriguing. So it really just happened, uh, very naturally. It wasn't anything that I ever dreamed of doing as a job that uh it just as i tuned more cars they all needed to be wired and and i wanted to step up the game and and, and you know do a, a nice loom on it so now, i've seen this myself with my own career we we get a car on the dyno and nine times out of ten when we have problems it does come down to the wiring harness so i share your pain and, and i know how that goes but uh, there's one thing getting competent and building a, a quality wiring harness that we'd see on a street car or, or maybe a, a club level car club level race car but then we've got the harness that you've constructed for your own Supra and, of course, the harnesses you're now constructing for your customers. And these are next level. We're talking here professional motorsport wiring harnesses. And these are very different from your garden variety club level and street harnesses. So how did you go to that level? How did you learn the techniques such as concentric twisting, how to use autosport connectors, etc., how to choose the correct crimp tools? Where did that knowledge come from? I think it just comes down to you need certain things on the car and packaging all of that is, is difficult. So creating a loom that was smaller, creating loom that could fit around tight places and something that, you know, I, I work in a lot of off-road applications and it's got to be robust. It's got to be strong. And so strain relieving came into play at, you know, getting rid of solder came into play because uh, originally you kind of start down that path and you don't know any better. And so you really just have to study what's out there. There's, you know, th there wasn't a class like you guys do now. There wasn't anything. And so really you just kind of study the guys out there and see if you can pick up tidbits. Um, and, and through the years, I picked up a lot of relationships with those guys. And so, you know, we share some information and whatnot, but th it's just a natural progression as, as you start down that path, I believe. So. 
Uh, you've just mentioned a couple of pretty hot topics there. I want to just jump back in <laughs> and unpack them, and uh, this is surely going to become somewhat controversial. I want to start with the uh, the age-old debate of solder versus crimping. And uh, we always have a lot of people who are big fans of solder for connecting wires or terminating wires. And, of course, in professional motorsport wiring harness construction, solder is very, very rarely used. Can you tell us what your take is? on the solder versus crimping debate? Really, for years I soldered stuff uh, because, like I said, I didn't know any better. And what I found on my own was my own failures. And, and those are those are tough lessons to learn. But, you know, I, I, I'd sent looms to, to clients and they take it off a jump and the car stops working and, and they show me what's down there at a 12-volt splice at the ECU with a piece of solder on it. And the solder's holding nice and tight, but, you know, one of the main wires is just busted off. And it, it just can't take the vibration. Uh, it doesn't do well when you when you heat the solder. The, the, in, the insulator doesn't work well up against it. It gets brittle. And so really learning to crimp everything after that. Um, many of my clients still think that these looms are soldered. You know, because everything's covered. Everything's covered in boots and, and backshelled and, and glued. And, and it's built that way. But but really, there's not a drop of solder in the entire loom. Everything is crimped and stripped, and and you have to get those tools to do it properly. You have to invest into it. Uh, the materials alone are thousands of dollars to to do the looms, and as well as the time. But you know that there is that debate, and and really, I I figured it out on my own. Whether I had to read anything on the internet because I had my own failures, and and yeah, learning from your own failures is obviously the, the, the best way. And, and I think I just want to dive into this a little bit because one of the constant arguments we hear when we bring up the solder versus crimping debate is, uh, but I've had a solder joint on my own car and it's lasted fine, so therefore soldering is okay. And yes, that may well be the case, but the fact still remains that at the end of your solder joint, you're going to have a brittle area that can work hard and fatigue, and it is prone to failure doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to fail, doesn't mean it's going to fail today, tomorrow, or maybe even in five years' time. But if it is subjected to the amount of the right amount of vibration for enough time, it can fail. So that's why we try and stay away from solder. The crimping, when done correctly, is a more reliable option. Now, the next technique I want to talk about that you, you just mentioned before uh, was the way the harness is actually constructed. So talking here about concentric twisting. And again, this is an area where we actually get quite a lot of debate from. Uh, often this comes from those who are involved in the aeronautic industry, uh, maybe producing harnesses or repairing harnesses for aircraft, and generally these harnesses aren't constructed in that technique. Uh, there's always horses for courses, but can you give us your opinion on why uh, concentric twisting is a superior technique for a motorsport application? For me, it really comes down to packaging. So these, these looms need to acquire a lot of data. They have a lot of sensors. Um, and we need things to be light. And we can't have a three-inch cable coming through our firewall. It's just not going to look nice and function correctly. So it really comes down to packaging. And, and inside that, you know, Raychem that you're going to shrink down, I want to use every single void of that. And so really the only way to do that properly and make it look nice is, is to do concentric twisting and center our shielded cables, you know, put, put heavier gauge stuff in the center and then make the outside nice and pliable, do proper strain relief. Those are other techniques, but um, really it just comes down to getting the packaging right and having flexibility and getting a lot out of a small size of, of the loom. Um, 
I think it's also important with a concentrically twisted harness in an automotive application, uh, the real idea there is that no single wire is, uh, is supplied any more stress than any other. So there's no stress placed into the wires or minimal stress placed into the wires. Uh, it gives you a tight bundle, a minimal uh, cross-sectional area, so it makes it easy to run a wiring harness through a tight engine bay. But just as importantly as well, it retains that flexibility, which is important in a car where you're running your wiring harness from a firewall through to the engine, which may move on the engine mounts, whereas in an aeromotive application, sorry, aeronautical application, I should say, it's much less of a consideration. And then, of course, you've got that uh, DR25 Raychem sheathing that you're heat shrinking down. Again, in our wiring harnesses in an automotive application, they are in the engine bay, they're exposed to heat, but just as importantly, they're exposed to moisture and a lot of nasty chemicals. So uh, that DR25 provides some abrasion resistance as well as resistance to heat and those chemicals. Is that, that a fair sort of way of putting that? Yeah, and I think the there's uh, a distinct piece there that, just because you have a ray cam on your harness or loom doesn't make it mil spec or high quality or all that because you can buy the ray cam, it's a quality product. A lot of people see it and they go, oh, I want a ray cam mil spec harness. It really comes down to using proper boots, boot sizing, gluing the boots with, with proper epoxy, strain relief at an auto sport, and really the layup of the loom as well. So a lot of people just think, oh, yeah, I got a ray cam harness and it's, it's this or that. And, you know, it it's, really, what, it's what's actually underneath really, that counts. Really, the cover is, yeah, great. It's Raycam. It'll it'll protect. It'll heat and abrasion, but it's it's really inside what, what, what counts. And, and you really don't get to showcase it because it's all covered up. Yeah, that is, that is the sad thing with the uh, amount of effort and the techniques that go into these harnesses. Really, at the end of the day, you've, you've got very little to show for it other than that exterior sheathing. All right, so with the, the background of the way, how you got involved there and some of those techniques that we've just covered with um, motorsport wiring harness construction, I want to delve into the actual harness that you've put into your Supra here. So can you start by maybe giving us some of the thought process you go through in the design stage? What's important to understand before you even start stripping and cutting wires for the first time? So anytime that I talk to a customer, uh, they want to wire their own project and I'll sell them a PDM or whatever. I tell them, you have to do your documentation first. So planning is super critical. And, and I think I learned this the hard way. You, you're on a tight deadline. The wiring guys always get left to the end. No time left in the schedule. And, and you really just need to stop and plan for what you ultimately want. Uh, I think the, the looms that I sell to my customers, you know, they're, they're fairly pricey, but I sell them with really anything that they would want long-term down the road so they can grow into the, into the piece. Um, so I think the planning is critical. Like I'll put turbo speed in there, EMAP, you know, and some of that stuff really sounds typical, but a guy who's just putting the car together and wants to go race, oh, I'm not going to use that stuff down the road. And then, Hey, our, we want to know our turbo speed. Well, it's there. You just buy the sensor and plug it in. So so building in some redundancy at the start. And I think it's also worth pointing out that these harnesses really, once they are completed, you've got almost no chance of really adding or modifying the wiring in them. Yeah, I mean, we always typically run spares. So for any expansion, it's hard to really fill up an M150 on a Supra. But when we start doing the transmission, the automatic transmission control and the wheel speeds and that sort of thing, we 
generally will fill it up. I mean, we do so much data on the car through CAN and programming that we don't have any like, you know, low side output triggers and that sort of thing. So we can reserve all of the pins in the Autosport to really just give us the data from the sensors and, and really have a lot of growth for the, for the overall package. So that, that's kind of where I aim is, look, I'll sell you this one. You won't have to buy another one. If you want to add a spare sensor, a new Wazoo sensor that comes out, there's a couple of wires left in there for you to do that. So. All right, so where the, the wiring harness comes through to the engine bay, uh, you're using bulkhead connectors there that are quick disconnect, autosport connectors. Can you tell us how those work and why they're an advantage? I really like to use only autosports. So a lot of people use mil-spec connectors. Uh, to me, it comes down to packaging again. Uh, I can get a high pin count in, in a small density. And when I'm using just the engine loom, you know, generally we just use like a, a size... 20 auto sport a 2035 is, is a common one for me um, and it uses all size 22 pins in it and i can get all the engine vitals going through that so the packaging is critical they also do not use a back shell that screws on so a mil spec connector takes the back shell that screws on your boot goes onto that and over time you know a lot of loom builders have had to actually lock tight that to keep it tight and you, you go through vibration and heat cycles and that sort of thing and, and that, that back shell can tend to loosen so preference for me is really just using auto sports only so you see my car and most of my clients cars it's really just auto sports in it and one of the nice features with those auto sport connectors as well is it does make it easier and quicker when you're servicing the vehicle uh, for example if you had to do an engine engine swap at the the track then instead of having to remove the wiring harness from each of the individual sensors and locations on the engine the harness can stay with the engine quick half turn disconnect at the firewall and everything can come out you've actually gone a little bit further than that can you tell us how you've made it easier to remove the inlet manifold uh, so on the inlet manifold, I have all 12 injectors and the TPS and the MAP sensor all going through two autosports. Uh, I mounted those underneath the uh, intake manifold. So anytime we want to service the car, we don't mess around with unplugging injectors. All of our injectors are booted. Everything's sealed so that if they ever get yanked on or anything, uh, the wires aren't going to come out. But simple. All you do is, is break the fuel rails, break the two auto sports, and remove the, the hardware, and the, the intake manifold can come off with everything still in place. Even the loom just comes right with it. So I think these are some of those nice little things that can be really easy to overlook. But when we are dealing with race cars, they do require servicing. And things like the inlet manifold are coming off frequently. Yep. So thinking about that in, in advance really makes a big difference. Now, can you tell us about the ignition system on this particular car and uh, how you've considered the wiring on that and why that's important? This uses the M&W Prodrax, uh, Prodrax 6, so it's the, the dual box, the older style. Um, so this is a CDI ignition system? CDI, yeah. And uh, we use stock coils with the CDI. It's proven on the 2J to work very well. I do a lot of IGN-1A coils as well, so there's not any big you know, debate on that. I do both systems. Uh, I chose the Pro Drags on my car. Uh, I, I ran it through a separate loom just to keep noise out of the engine harness, but, but mainly as well as uh, serviceability. If, if somebody damages a coil or has a fire or something, we can just replace that one loom. And, you know, we're, we're dealing with shielded cable, so it's larger and, and really keeping the packaging down is critical there. So I've got a AS14 that I run that through and uh, just just run for the coils. Now, another nice feature that I noticed when we we're looking over this car as well is you've got a little button sitting there in the engine bay that you can crank the engine over with. So you just tell us why you've included that and why that's helpful. Well, I think it's 
you know, like you said, a car like this gets serviced and you need to look at it, do compression tests, do leak downs. Uh, I put it in there for that. But, but I also, when I start the car, I just lean in and touch the keypad to turn on the CDI and then just walk up to the front, run the throttle if I need to, run the starter. I can see everything going on. I don't have to climb in the roll cage every single time to warm the car up. So it's really a convenience thing is, you, you know, bump the engine over, check cams or, or any of that. So. Uh, in terms of the power supply for all of the components, you're running a MoTeC PDM or power distribution module. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that helps you when it comes to the wiring? I know there's a lot of debate about the expense of, or the added expense of a PDM, but there's also a saving there in terms of the, the time it takes to wire up conventional fuses and relays. Uh, how's that all work out in your mind? Well, I think the way that I explain it to clients is if you want to run a PDM 30, that's going to give you 30 circuits. So we need 30 relays and we need 30 fuses and we need 30 switches. <laughs> so, I mean, when you mount all that and the labor and the wiring and the complexity of that, it, it really becomes a no brainer because you may pay for more money for the PDM up front. You get a ton more capability, but you're going to pay more in labor to wire up all those mechanical switches and relays and fuses, um, especially time-wise on my end. It's, it's, it's going to take quadruple, five times the, the amount of time to do that than it is just to wire up the PDM straight away. So Yeah, I think it's really important when you're looking at these products and comparing prices. Uh, it's not just the price of the component you need to consider, but it's the actual final price of that component once all said and done and it's installed in the car. Not to mention, of course, the added functionality and diagnostic advantages that power distribution modules can, can give. Now, the other thing that I've noticed in this car that's quite unique is that you're running two MoTeC can-based keypads. You've got one up the front of the car and then you've got one in the trunk area. Can you tell us, first of all, what is the can-based keypad and why is that important and then why are you using two of them? Well, the keypad is nice because it, it gives all its data over the CAN bus. It's only wired in with four wires. And as I talked before, if you wanted 15 switches like with our front keypad, you would need to wire 15 wires. So it's nice to just do the four and get the data across the bus to get your functionality. Uh, really, the keypad in the rear came down to just serviceability between rounds. Our air-to-water ice tank is in the back. We need to put ice in it. We need to cycle the pump. Um, sometimes we need to purge the nitrous. Uh, my mechanic needs to go through and, and uh, check vitals on the, on the C127. So back there, you can cycle the dash. You can run the fans. You can run the keypad. And it, it's not a bit of climbing in and out of this, this roll cage between rounds. So... Just like the button in the in front of the engine bay, it's really just a, an, a, an easy service type of thing. So a little bit of added uh, money for the additional keypad and a little bit of additional wiring, but at the end of the day, all of these things add up to making the car just that much easier to work on. Look, the harness work in this car is an absolute work of art. We're really looking forward to seeing how the car performs this weekend. And if someone out there wants to get hold of you, uh, maybe learn a little bit more about your work, where can they go to? Uh, on Instagram, we're at Cody Phillips Racing, same as Facebook. Our website's www.codyphillipsracing.com. We still take phone calls. We still take emails. But, yeah, social, any of that stuff, uh, the web, all great ways. All right. Great. Thanks for your time there, Cody, and good luck for the rest of the weekend. All right. Thank you. If you enjoy this podcast, please feel free to leave us a review on whatever platform you've chosen to listen to it on. It goes a long way to helping us get the word out there. 
all these conversations and much more are also available in full on our High Performance Academy YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe.